Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. I want to wish you all a, a happy new year, I guess a day early, right? Uh, it's, just, it's just been hard for me this year to, to keep in mind, okay, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, Christmas on a Monday, right? And New Year's Eve is on a Sunday, but... Anyway, if you want to put up the, the sermon um, there, um, I, I, I was reading a little bit about a guy named uh, Bill Goodrich, and it was, uh, I think, 39 years ago. Uh, no, if you can go back to the first slide. Um, yeah, that's the one. It was 39 years ago, Christmas Eve, he was sitting in a uh, church service, and there was a presentation by a choir of mentally handicapped people. And he's watching this and listening to them, and he's thinking about the tough life they must have had. And then he starts thinking about people in nursing homes and all of people who are suffering. And he's going, why does God let this stuff happen? I don't understand God. What is the deal? And he starts just to pray earnestly through this service, and while he was there, it's like the Lord started speaking to him and showing him that this is where God is calling his people to show love, that that's what love is really all about, to reach out to people who are in need and who are maybe difficult uh, or in difficult situations. And it, it reminded me a little bit of something that Eugene Peterson said where he said, um, the two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. More often than not, the mess people make of their lives can be traced to failure or stupidity or meanness in one or both of these areas. You know, it's, it's like we just have problems with understanding those two things, love and God. And that's what makes me very happy about this new sermon series that we're starting here as uh, 2024 begins. And it's in the letters of John. First John, uh, five chapters there, and then there's uh, Second John, Third John, little one-chapter books. I've always felt that like, if you want to know who Jesus is, you're, the very best thing you can do is to read the Gospel of John. I don't think there's any better book to really understand about Jesus and who he really is. And if you want to know the real basics of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a, a true Christian, then I think 1 John is your best bet. I think this is the fundamental like primer of what it's really all about. And so we're going to be looking this morning at 1 John chapter 1 that lays out a lot about who God is and how he wants to relate to us. And so uh, the first thing it's going to talk about in this book is God's radical self-revelation. Um, God really comes in a different way than we would expect, and something that's almost like repugnant to our culture. Uh, it starts out here in chapter 1, verse 1, and John is speaking here. And remember, he was one of uh, Jesus' disciples. There was, there's a lot of thinking that when uh, John was just a, maybe a teenager, maybe like 18, 19 years old when he first started following Jesus, just a young guy and a real eyewitness of, of Jesus' ministry. And John says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. He's going, hey, this is God, the one who is from the beginning. He identifies him right away. 
We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. John is saying, hey, he appeared in human flesh, just like ours. He came as a human being. Uh, this is the one, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. And if you put that together and you start thinking, wow, this is God, this is like creator, and now he's appearing as a human being, you've got to realize that what he's done is he's humbled himself and he's laid down his power temporarily here and he is coming as just one of us here. And this really goes against the grain for us. I mean, we're living in a time, and I think it's always been this way, that people are into power. They're into power. And the idea of somebody laying down their power like this is just kind of strange. It just seems kind of wrong to us. I mean, we live in a time where, you know, for the last 20 years, we've been hearing girl power, right? We've been hearing about that in education. We've been hearing about that in our movies, all of our entertainment. I mean, it's like power, right? And then we've got tons of books that tell us how to be self-empowered and how to gain power and how to get more power and stuff. And just recently, I've been hearing more and more times when people die, instead of saying rest in peace, we hear people saying rest in power, rest in power. And I think it's sometimes used as a way of going like, look, your death uh, political activists can use this for our basic cause, right? To advance our power. And so, you know, we're going to draw power from your martyrish type death or something like that. But it's also this idea here that it's like we, you know, anybody who has affected people in life somehow has a power that's residual. It's like hanging on. So it's like rest in power. And uh, Peter Laffin says this, that God would reveal his nature by renouncing his power is not only confusing to the modern mind, but repugnant. It just seems offensive to us. In the, in the nativity, God's obedience to the law of love reversed the disobedience of the first parents. Remember, that's what Adam and Eve were about, right? I mean, they wanted more power. They're going like, we want to be able to set what's right and what's wrong. You know, it was the first power grab there. We want to be like God, right? And then it, the rebellion of pride was countered by God's rebellion of self-denying love. It's like what Christmas is, is a way of God saying, I'm not going this way, I'm different than that. And I'm going to call a people who are going to react differently to the culture. We're not going that power route that the world is going. And what's interesting about our God here, and I think I've lost control of this thing here, you might have to advance this for me, is that this God really wants to establish a relationship with us. Tim's working on it back there. There we go. We can have a real relationship with God. And in 1 John 1, verse uh, 2, the end of it, it talks about Jesus, and it says, He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you uh, so that you may fully share our joy. 
That word fellowship is, means spiritual union, a, a uniting of my spirit with God's spirit, a uniting with, of your spirit with his. It's the deepest kind of relationship that you can have. It talks about this in Romans 8, and it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I remember what this was like when I first became a believer. It was like up to this point, I always thought about as God as uh, th thought of God as kind of generic, right? So I always thought, God, God did this, God did that. And I remember once I became a believer, suddenly I started thinking of God as Father. Father. And I, th I, was, I would think about that and I'd go like, why this change in my thinking here? I, I wasn't intending this, but this just kind of happened. And what was really happening here, according to Romans 8, is that Jesus came to live inside of me. That's his spirit, right? That was the spirit that I was given there. And that spirit is crying, Abba, Father, from within me. And it's just like, it gives me a whole new attitude as his spirit is joined to my spirit. And it affirms that we are God's children. I remember this one time, it was, you know, it was kind of new in my walk with the Lord. And Nan and I, I think, were looking for a house. Um, and so we were talking to somebody who was at this one house we were looking at. It was a person we had never met before, didn't know this person at all. And all of a sudden, Nan says to this woman, she goes, you're a believer. You follow Jesus, don't you? And the woman goes, yes, I do. And you do too, right? And Nan goes, yeah. And I, I thought, what is this? And I remember later asking her about this, and she said, I just knew she was a believer. It was like the Jesus in my wife recognized the Jesus in this woman. You know, spirit, it was that spiritual union. And maybe you've had that experience too, where you just kind of know that somebody is one with you like this. And I think that's what we're talking about, that spiritual union with God himself. You know, this is something that, it's what we're really looking for. The world tends to look at this in terms of like, oh, I need a soulmate. I mean, how many times haven't we heard this where people are looking for a soulmate? And they go, sometimes they go like, yes, I found that soulmate. And then they get married, and then two years later, they're divorced. And I'm going like, what happened? And I think the idea of a soulmate is kind of like a deep emotional attachment. But you know how emotions are, right? They kind of come and they go and they don't have that real permanence. We're not talking about a soulmate here. We're talking about what we're really looking for, and that's spiritual union. Spirit to spirit It's something that's deep and that lasts, and it transcends our feelings. There's a big danger, and that is that we can live in the darkness. And then John is going to warn us about that in these succeeding verses. And it says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. You know, you and I live in the 21st century, and it's like it's kind of a post-Christian time, isn't it? It's like people have drifted away. And there's still, I think, a lot of people who identify as Christians in kind of a general way. 
but it's like they're not really lining up with their lifestyles as believers you would expect them to do to do and it says if we have we say we have fellowship with god but go on living in spiritual darkness we are not practicing the truth uh, I read this book some time ago called The Threat of Violence. And it was a story of a guy named Malcolm MacArthur. He's the guy who's pictured on the cover of the book. You can see he's nicely dressed, but you can see he's got a handcuff uh, around his uh, right wrist that's attached to a handcuff from a policeman there. And what uh, Malcolm MacArthur was arrested for was a couple of murders. Malcolm uh, grew up with uh, a lot of money, and then uh, he didn't do much with it except just kind of enjoy himself. And then when he was in his 30s, he, he ran out of money. So he goes like, what am I going to do? I don't have any money. I don't want to work. He's going, I'll rob a bank. So he goes, what am I going to need to rob a bank? I need a, I need a gun and I need a car to do that. So he figures, I'll get a car first. So he's walking down this road uh, near where he lives, there's a park there, and there's this woman who is sunbathing near what seems to be her car. So he goes over there, and he demands the keys, and gets the keys from her, and she's resisting this, so he beats her to death with a hammer. He leaves her there, drives the car away. He's got this like, newspaper that's got an ad for this farmer who's selling a shotgun. So he drives out to where this farmer is, and he's going, can I just uh, see the shotgun and just hand? Sure, says the farmer. And he shoots the, sh the farmer with it, kills him, and drives off with the gun. Well, what happens is he tries to rob this bank. He ends up uh, hiding out for a while, and he finally gets arrested. And he's sentenced to uh, 30 years in prison. This happened in Dublin. And this guy got interested in him, Mark O'Connell, and came you know, to interview him and talk with him. And this is what MacArthur said about himself. He said, I think of myself as a normal person. People who know me well regard me as a very likable person. I have a high likability factor, I'm told. And I like people. I am very good with people. I am sympathetic and empathetic and all those things. So the author asks him, he goes like, what about these two people that you brutally killed? And he says, there was a need for money. <laughs> you know, is this not deception? Is this not walking in the dark? But I think this is, there's, we have this tendency sometimes to just maybe think of, you know, being Christians as kind of a label. And do, do our lifestyles match up with this? Are we actually living in the light? That's the question. You know, there's a better alternative, and that is to live in the light. And 1 John 1, verse 7 says, But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, living in the light means thinking differently. Thinking differently than we used to think. Thinking differently than people in the world think. Uh, Ephesians 4, Paul says, You must no longer live as outsiders do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their, of their hearts. He's going like, people don't know the ways of God, but it isn't like there's a lack of knowledge so much. It's that there's a kind of a stubbornness and a hard-heartedness 
that comes from just living in rebellion against God. You know how that is, how sin can just become real habitual in our lives. And we become just used to it. And pretty soon our, we're not very repentant at all. We're just kind of like accepting that that's the way it is. And it's like, if we're living in the light, it's like we're going, we can't live like this. This is wrong. I'm, I'm seeing this differently. You know, it's like, I remember becoming a believer and starting to realize that some of the stuff I did was like wrong. And start, and start just seeing it in a different way. And maybe even things that I, had, I knew were like bad habits, but now I realize they were wrong. It was like a, a different mindset. Uh, Philip Yancey, in his book, Finding God in Unexpected Places, he talks uh, about a guy that he met. This guy had been married for some time, and he told Yancey, he goes like, you know, I, I'm pretty seriously going to leave my wife, and I, I've fallen in love with a younger woman who's prettier than my wife is. So he goes like, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I know it's a terrible thing, but I'm going to do it. And then he says to Yancey, he goes like, couldn't God forgive me for that? And Yancey thinks about this. And Yancey says, can God forgive you? Of course, you know the Bible. The problem is the distance you'll place yourself from God. Sin does that. It kills our closeness to him. Now you think of forgiveness, but will you want it then? Will you still care God forgives. He doesn't change. The problem is that we do. You know, when we're talking about a guy here who's deliberately sinning, he's going, I know this is wrong. I am going to do it anyway. We're talking about something that can really change our lives. And it becomes like a habitual thing. It becomes something where our hearts, there's a real like tendency for our hearts to get hard and for us just to accept that that's the way that things are. And when we do that, we're no longer living in the light. We're living in the darkness. And it's such a dangerous thing. It's such a dangerous thing. Living in the light means acting differently. For Paul goes on in chapter 5 of Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. You see that there about goodness, righteousness, truth. There's like an honesty. There's like a seeking after what's good. And then there's like, try to find out what pleases the Lord. It's like, would God want me to do this thing? Does he want me to continue with this? Is there something else that he wants me to do to be seeking him? It's like living in that light, like I want to be in the light like he is in the light. In John 3, there's kind of a summary of, of this whole idea of living in the light. And Jesus is talking here, and it's a, a continuation of when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, in John 3:16. Now here we are in verse 19, and Jesus talking about himself in the third person says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in God's Son, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light 
and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants, living in the light. Now, there's some real benefits to living in the light that John goes on to talk about. And he says, if we live in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Living in the light builds our relationships with each other. Um, I'm, I know maybe some of you know who this guy is. He, he just died a few weeks ago, Matthew Perry. So he was in that long-running series uh, called Friends. And uh, he died of a drug overdose. Um, and what's interesting is that the more that started coming out about this guy, I mean, this is the way he looked back in the show, and this is the way he looked not long before he died. And you can see that the drugs that he was addicted to really took their toll on him. But I think what really took the toll on this guy was the fact that he could not walk in the light and he had no fellowship with others. He had withdrawn from other people. He was alienated, like sin often does, because we're hiding. We don't want anybody to know really what's going on. And it said in this news story, a close pal of Perry's claimed to the Daily Mail that the actor lied to everyone about being clean. He never was clean, the friend claimed to the outlet. It's very sad. You know, the biggest lie he told was probably to himself. Matthew's friend continued, he could be quite a manipulative person when it came to his struggles with using, but it was such a struggle, such a battle, and he battled every day to the end. And it's like, this is what happens, you know, when we walk in the dark. But when we live in the light, we can be ourselves, we can be honest, we can open up to others, we don't have to hide, we don't have to manipulate, we don't have to like, put out an image for people and hide behind that. And that builds relationships. I mean, what are relationships really based on, right? They're based on trust. And it's like if we can be an honest with people, they can learn to trust us and know that what we say is what we mean and who we are is who we are. Who they see is who we are. It also says if we're living in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it's like we're living now in a flow of, of cleansing. I, I, I thought about this um, a couple of weeks ago while school was still going on before the Christmas break. My, uh, my two uh, granddaughters who are living in St. Louis, the one in the foreground is uh, in pre-K. She's five years old. And uh, she got sent home uh, because of head lice. It was like an outbreak of that at the school. And maybe some of you as parents, you maybe have lived through this, where all of a sudden, like, these kids will start spreading it out, spreading it from one to the other. So what my daughter Sarah did was she took uh, Vivian, as well as uh, Cecilia, to Lice Busters. These guys are amazing, you know? And they, they basically did their treatment, and Vivian was back in school in four hours. You know Why? Because the lice were gone, and they said, we give you a 30-day guarantee. They will not return. These guys are amazing. Now, it costs a lot of money to treat, you know, to treat the whole family to get them this guarantee. That was like 700 bucks, okay? Mom, dad, and the two girls. But those of you who've been through these kind of things with your kids, at that stage, you're going, I guess I'll pay the money, right? But it's like, this is kind of like that continual flow of forgiveness 
for, for the people who are in relationship with God, right? It isn't like we're going like, oh, I, I, you know, I did this thing, I was wrong, God's going to get me for this, but he's going like, look at, I've forgiven your sins, you know, you're walking with me, and it's my love is a continual thing that gives you not only a 30-day guarantee, but it goes on and on and on. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from, from sin. And I think for 2024, as we enter the year tomorrow, uh, I think John's word for us is to be honest to God. And this is how he finishes the chapter. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, there is a tendency on our part to be self-righteous, isn't there? You remember the old Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strips? were so great. I, it was somebody in the service last night, this, this kid who came up to me after the service. He goes, hey, I got a big book of Calvin and Hobbes. It's great. You know, I said, yes, we got that book at home too. And this is where I got this thing. And, you know, and it's like Hobbes has gone like, you know what? You know, maybe Calvin, you could uh, resolve to do things better this coming year. And Calvin goes, resolutions, me? Just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. Don't you think that's kind of our reflexive action when somebody criticizes us? You know, somebody points out, you know what, you, you should really be doing, you shouldn't be doing that. You got a bad attitude here. Or somebody going, what are you talking about? Where's the empathy, you know? Don't you care? You know, why are you picking on me? You know, don't be so judgy or whatever it is. And we got like all these like reactions, you know, to that kind of stuff, that kind of self-righteousness. And I think what's even more like, deceptive in our lives is this, this idea right here. Um, the other day, Nan and I were walking in our neighborhood and we come upon this truck from binbath.com. Have any of you ever seen these? This is crazy. I see this guy and he's got these garbage cans and he's doing this treatment of this person's garbage cans. So I went up to the guy and I'm going like, so like they pay you to like, rinse out their garbage cans? He's going, well, yeah. He says, you know, we power wash them, and we deodorize them, and we put some good scent in there and everything, and they're just, like, good to go. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're going to get their garbage cans, and what's going to happen next? Oh, we got rotten potatoes. Let's throw those in. You know, it's like, but I, apparently, for 200 bucks a year, they'll come out every three months and make your garbage cans pristine. <laughs> But isn't this like a picture sometimes of our lives? It's kind of like, you know, we got some dirt that's really hidden, but on the exterior, we're nice, right? Haven't you heard people describe it? You go, that guy's doing the wrong, he's living the wrong life there. But he's so nice, so nice. And it's easy to be nice, you know? And you know, what's interesting is Jesus never said, be nice. I mean, it's good to be nice, right? But he. He's got a lot of others. He's going, this is the way I want you to live. And we're going, that's eh, too tough. I'd rather just be nice, you know, and live my, the rest of my life the way I want to live it. And it's like we're deceiving ourselves if we're, if we're walking contrary to him and putting on just a pleasant exterior. But here's what we need to do, John says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we haven't sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our lives. That word confess literally means agree. Like when we talk about let's confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, 
It just means let's talk about what we agree with. It's an agreement that we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And confessing our sins means we go, God, I did the wrong thing. Father, I, it, I admit fault here. That was a wrong thing, and I'm going to do something about that. You know, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Do you understand this idea of God is being faithful and just to forgive us? It doesn't sound like that's justice, does it? But Jesus paid the price. And so it's real justice now for God to forgive us as we confess, as we bring it into the light and we're honest with God about this. Um, I want to show you a one-minute news clip that's a perfect example of what this confession is like. Now, this takes place in um, L.A. And the, see that guy up there in the upper right-hand corner? He's lying face down on a pavement. That guy was, uh, led the cops on this high-speed chase through the streets of L.A. And it, finally, the cops gave up. And this guy then eventually got to this point where he gave up, too, and there he is giving himself up. So just let's just check out this news story here. A pursuit suspect who was wanted for driving a stolen car decided to ditch the car and give up, but police never came to arrest him. LAPD officers engaged in a pursuit with the driver of the white Kia in downtown LA around 10 o'clock last night. When the suspect started running red lights near USC, officers abandoned the chase and backed off. Look. He's, he's taking laying, a nap. He's laying on the ground. That led to an awkward situation when the suspect decided to surrender outside a grocery store on Vermont Avenue. Look at that woman telling him, get up. I love her. He laid on the ground waiting for officers for about 20 minutes before realizing no one was there to <laughs> take him away. Yeah, he just got up and, as you see cameras there, he just walked away. This is one of the top trending stories. <laughs> That's interesting. Number one, it tells us if you ever have cops after you in L.A., just keep going, you know. <laughs> They're going to give up. No, I think what the real deal here is, the picture of this, is you and me. So we finally get to the point in our lives where we're going, okay, I'm not going to play games with God anymore. I'm just going to surrender to him. And so we go like, I was, I'm wrong. God, Father, I surrender. And then we go like, wait a minute. And we realize he's forgiving us. And we can get up and walk away. You know, I think our tendency sometimes when we've sinned is to just mope around afterwards, you know, and God's going, no, I don't pay off on moping. I want you to confess your sin, get honest with me, and now I want you to walk into that new life and put it behind you. Just like that, that woman came up there and announced the grace of the L.A. police to this guy and said, move on. There he is. <laughs> Okay, and not only does he cleanse or forgive us our sins, but he cleanses us from all wickedness. And I think this is really a cool thing here because God says, look, if you'll do this, then I'll begin that work in your life to change you from the inside out so that I can do the work that you in your own strength can't get done. You know, just a great example of this is from a, a book that Kyle Eidelman wrote called Don't Give Up. And remember this story in here where he gets a couple of text messages from his neighbor, and the neighbor goes, your dog killed one of my chickens. And so Eidelman's getting you know, text after text from this neighbor. He's going, what am I going to do? So he says, maybe I'll just never talk to this neighbor again. Um, but he's thinking, you know, if the guy comes over and fixes stuff, 
I, I don't want to just destroy the relationship. And then he thinks, well, maybe I can just, you know, still hang around the guy, but just pretend it never happened. But he goes, that, that would be pretty awkward. That's probably not going to work. So he, he says, maybe I got to start thinking of this in a different way. Maybe what I ought to realize, you know, the guy himself has got to realize is you've got to protect your chickens better. I mean, who leaves their chickens vulnerable to dogs? Dogs are going to get them. It's his fault. It's really not mine. So finally he goes like, you know what? I got even a better idea than that. So he, he knows his wife's at the grocery store. So he calls his wife and he goes, hey, your dog killed a neighbor's chicken. <laughs> but he goes, so you need to go to the penance aisle in the store and get something so we can like pay the guy off. So his wife brings home a, a full, uh, full made rotisserie chicken and a chocolate cake. And uh, he takes it over to the neighbor as kind of a peace offering. And he goes like, you know, in thinking about that, there was a better way. It's really the Jesus way. It's the first John way. And that is to just go to the neighbor and say, my fault. I shouldn't have let the dog loose like that. I'm sorry. You know, let's, let's deal with this. You know, and I think that's really what, uh, what John is telling us right there. He's going, I want you to be honest to God. Don't try to pay God off. Don't try to just blow it off. Don't try to justify yourself or blame it on the way you were born or whatever the deal is. Just confess your sin. Be honest to God. And then let him do that work of cleansing you from all the wickedness. Uh, Eidelman says this, let Jesus scrub away the guilt. Let the shame be rinsed for once and for all. Make it good and thorough. When he washes us, we stay clean. No more cycles, no more anchors to the past. Jesus can take every bit of it. He can free us up to start running the race as we should. I want to close with, with this. It looks like I lost that last slide somewhere. Hmm. That isn't it. Well, I'm going to have to do it from memory right here. I want to read you something that my... Uh, that I got from my son out in Vegas. He's got this gym, and on Friday he does these like Friday seminars for some of the kids who are there training to be like baseball players of the future. And um, he said on this one Friday, he goes, don't obsess over goals. I mean, as we're thinking about the new year and our tendency with resolutions and stuff, he's going, don't obsess over goals. Focus on systems instead. What we have to learn to change is our systems. Then results will naturally follow. Fix the inputs and the outputs will fix themselves. I think our tendency is to like look at our lives and go like, well, I need to straighten up a couple of things here and I'll make a resolution. Instead, I think what we need to do is to think of this in terms of the Jesus system. And the first thing is, to just know God, find out about him, who he actually is, and accept him and what he's doing and trust him as he reveals himself. The second thing is to walk in the light as he's in the light, to just agree with him about what he's telling us to do and to seek his will and to walk that out. And third is to be honest to God. And in those times where we've fallen, in those times that we've come short, we need to be honest with him, confess that sin, and trust him to forgive us 
and, and go to work on us from the inside out to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you today, and we want to thank you for what you're showing us uh, for this year, 2024. And I want to pray, Lord, that if there's, there's anybody here this morning who is really not walking in the light, been walking in the darkness, kind of faking it, uh, just kind of going back and forth, Lord, that you would go to work in their hearts, that you'd open eyes so that we could see you the way you really are and, and see your glory and walk in, in the light. And Lord, in those areas where we've fallen, I just pray for an honest people here for 2024, that we could agree with you and we could come to you and surrender our lives in all the different ways that you want us to. And I just pray that this would be a, a, a real year of spiritual growth. And I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.